Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. Today our we're going to continue in the spiritual practices for everyday people. Um, and today we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of small touches. And obviously I will get more into what that actually means. But today we're reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 verses 34 through 40. So listen now for a word from God. <clears throat> then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. So in a world where we now know, thanks to globalization and media, um, that there are a lot of big problems that need solving, we might read a passage like our passage in Matthew 25 and think, wow, geez, I need to start a nonprofit to solve world hunger or begin a prison ministry. And if those are your ideas, great, do it. Awesome. Um, But this last spring, I was at a conference with Barbara Brown Taylor, and she said that we now have what the serpent kind of warned us about in the Garden of Eden, all the knowledge of life and death. Thanks to the 24-hour news cycle, we have what we associate often with God, right? Omniscience. We know all the people across the globe who are thirsty and hungry and lonely and held in unjust systems. We are, in a way, omniscient. Not completely, obviously, and not uncurated. But it seems nowadays that we can eat as many apples from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as we'd like. We know perhaps more than is good for us or for our brains. But Taylor reminded those of us in the room that there is a big catch. While we might be creeping up to God's level of omniscience, we don't have what is also associated with the divine. Omnipotence, this executive power of time and resources, we don't have that power to solve it all. It turns out we're not the gods we like to imagine we are. We are, simply put, humans. So in some sense, we need to learn to be satisfied, even excited about leveraging the power we do have in the circumstances we find ourselves in, even if we are aware about a bunch of other things beyond our threshold. In our passage for today, Jesus is wrapping up one of his main blocks of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is one of Matthew's main characterizations of Jesus. He's a a teacher par excellence, um, often using stories, as most good teachers do, And this story Jesus tells is of a king who is separating the wheat from the chaff, metaphorically speaking, obviously. And the wheat are surprised to find themselves in the pile of nutritious food. They are keepers. 
they're the righteous. And perhaps they're surprised because they didn't start a 501c3. Um, perhaps they're surprised because, I don't know, maybe sometime they lost their temper at the Delta desk clerk when flying home. Or maybe they're surprised that they're in the pile of wheat because they're not Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or Dorothy Day. <clears throat> God has to break it down for them. You saw a need in front of you and you helped. I was hungry. You fed me. I was cold. You gave me a jacket. I was the awkward mom at the PTA meeting and you sat by me. I had COVID and you brought my family dinner. I got put in a super tight spot and you met me there. I was struggling to find a babysitter and you parked on my couch. My car broke down and you let me borrow yours. I had a hard day and you texted me. I was hungry. You gave me 10 bucks. What they did for the people around them, they did for God. That's how tightly the divine is wrapped around our lives. And that is how simple it is to interact with the love of God. It's the small touches that often create these ecosystems of care, or we could call it the kingdom of God. Many people now celebrate the late Irish playwright and poet Oscar Wilde. Um, but Wilde was a gay man in a time where it was deemed a legal offense in the UK. And as he was transported one day in a very dark period for him from prison um, to another building, the court of bankruptcy, he was a broken and humiliated man. He had very few friends and many wounded connections. Later from prison, he reflected on this specific journey between these buildings, the prison and um, the court, in a letter titled De Profundis. And in this letter, Wilde describes the transformative and precious act of kindness that is offered to him by one of his few friends that remained, Robbie. So I'm going to read a part of that letter for you now. When I was brought down from my prison to the court of bankruptcy, between the two policemen, Robbie waited in a long, dreary corridor that before the whole crowd, whom an action so sweet and simple hushed into silence, he might gravely raise his hat to me as handcuffed and with bowed head, I passed him by. Men have gone to heaven for smaller things than that. When wisdom has been profitless to me, philosophy barren, the memory of that little, lovely, silent act of love brought me out of the bitterness of lonely exile into harmony with the wounded and broken and great heart of the world. It's the small touches that sometimes make the biggest difference. Lord, when did we save your resilience and spirit? I was walking to the courthouse in shame and you lifted your hat. During the pandemic, the fall of 2020, the leadership team at church was trying to map out ways we could stay connected as a community without actually gathering. It was a time when we were all really starting to feel that learned helplessness that I preached about last week. There's just not much that can replace the proximity of the people we love. Um, but Courtney Greathouse said in one of the meetings, what about small touches? Not really touching people, obviously, but small gestures or gifts or words that interrupt these monotonous days. So she and a couple other people put together Halloween bags. Um, I believe there were small decorations and stickers for Halloween, which I hate stickers, so they really snuck that one past me. 
Probably um, one of the many candles was in that bag that we sent to you throughout the season of the pandemic to light the darkness. My guess is that I insisted on a prayer or a liturgy of hope um, to be put in the bags as the seasons changed. These bags were then dropped off as small touches of care. And we did this again and again. How many of you recall the tiny wooden advent wreath blocks that Sarah Olmsted like repeatedly cut and drilled over and over and over? And then I scoured the internet for purple and white and pink birthday candles to fit in those tiny holes that she drilled. Um, I think the purple ones actually had glitter in them because um, I had to special order them from Etsy. Who knew that you know, purple birthday candles would be so hard to find? I think there's Christmas tea in them and even homemade Christmas cookies. I have heard from a lot of you that those surprise bags on your front stoops did exactly what we hoped. They offered connection and care when it was hard to come by. Lord, when did we comfort you? When you dropped off a small touches bag in the middle of a pandemic. Or I like to consider the free crisis text line. It's operated by thousands of volunteers across the country. Um, Nancy Lublin, who had just lost a close friend of suicide back in 2014, started it. Uh, to volunteer as a text counselor, people go through about 30 hours of training, and then they log into a platform at their convenience to answer texts of distress from people around the country. NPR had a great article on it back in 2017, and that article highlighted one college student, Adler. She did the training, and in her first year, ended up saving 17 lives. So using the code 741741, these volunteer counselors who always have access to professionals while they're texting, exchanged more than 50 million messages in the first four years of the platform. These messages are from people facing issues of stress at school or in relationships to people struggling with self-harm or abuse. They just need a few texts to help them move from making a harmful decision to making a hopeful one. Um, I guess to reference last week's sermon again, they need a boop. <laughs> but these volunteers are saving lives just by texting from wherever they are. And if you want to look it up, the article is called Saving Lives Via Text. Um, but Lord, when did we save your life? You answered my text. Doing the good life-saving work in the world is not a giant mountain to climb. We do not need to be omniscient and we do not need to be omnipotent. As Matthew shows us, it is a life of kindness and attention to what is directly around us. In a world, in the world of marriage counseling, the Gottmans, uh, who are quite famous at this, uh, the Gottmans say that for every single negative interaction in a marriage, a couple needs five positive interactions in order to keep a relationship healthy. And this passage in Matthew for me is like God listing the things that people have done to keep the ratio of living together transformative and healing and hopeful, to keep our relationships with each other and therefore with God in good standing so that we all thrive. And so my friends, this is an important spiritual practice for everyday people, right? And today, I mean, I'm going to call it the spiritual practice of small touches. I think you could call it the spiritual practice of just like seeing the people in front of you. Um, you could call it the spiritual practice of keeping the ratio high, whatever you want, but just know it is not out of reach. It is, it is simply the way that Jesus has taught us to live and to enact the kingdom of God on earth. And so what I want you to do 
as I close this sermon is I want you to take a moment to consider the small touches in your life. Um, I want you to think of ways people have offered you acts of grace and care in your life, but then I want you to also think of ways that you have or could in the future care for the needs of those around you in your own life. That's what I want you to do. That's the end of the sermon is what I want you to do is to take a moment in gratitude to think of the small touches that have saved you. Um, another great question. What is saving you right now? What are some of those small touches that have saved you or are saving you right now? And then what are ways that you can make those gestures to people around you so that all of us can dwell in that surprising kingdom of God? Amen and amen.